Welcome into NBA Sound System, a special, exciting NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here with Sporting News draft expert Kyle Irving. It's draft season officially. The lottery has been decided. Congratulations to the San Antonio Spurs. The year long, I don't, years long. Victor Wimbanyama sweepstakes is settled. The Spurs will select first uh, in the 2023 NBA draft. Kyle, how are you doing? And how do you imagine that Spurs fans are feeling today? Spurs fans got to be feeling great. I mean, you saw the videos of them like waving the flag as they're driving through the city and everything like that. The bar was going crazy after they got the number one pick. It really did feel like it was kind of destiny. I mean, Victor Wembanyama said himself that on his way to uh, his final Mets 92 game of the season, he took a video of himself saying Victor Wembanyama of the San Antonio Spurs. So, you know, he ended up exactly where he wanted to be. Uh, his, you know, French mentor, Tony Parker, Spurs legend. Uh, he said the entire country wanted him to end up on the Spurs. So, you know, everything fell into place the way it was supposed to. Yeah, we got to get Victor Wimbanyama photoshopped on top of that LeBron meme uh, when he predicted Kobe was going to score 81 since he predicted he was going to go first <laughs> uh, to, to the Spurs in this draft. But like you said, it, it just feels so seamless, right? Like, you know, luck again, uh, another generational talent. You know, it was 87. They end up with David Robinson. Uh, 97 is Tim Duncan. And now 2023, it's Victor Wimbanyama and, the Spurs, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that they were playing in the playoffs. It wasn't that long ago that they were playing in the playing tournament. Actually, it was last year they were playing in the playing tournament. But, you know, they hit the reset button, hit the rebuild button uh, this past year when they traded DeJounte Murray away. So, uh, you know, looking at the state of the San Antonio Spurs, you and I kind of chatted about this after the lottery was settled. I, I mean, when we were talking about potential places for Victor Wimanyama, this kind of feels like the the most ideal situation of the teams that were just really bad last year. Yeah, it does. I mean, for Victor, this is a situation that he goes into that already has a championship infrastructure in place. You know, mm -hmm. right away, he mentioned guys like Tony Parker, who has been his mentor for a long time now in France. Uh, guys like Boris Diaw, you know, Tim Duncan still has his fingerprints on this organization. Yep. So, you know, you have a, a leader like Greg Popovich, who is one of, if not the greatest coach in NBA history at the helm. And, you know, he's getting up there in age. So who knows how much longer he'll stick around to coach Wambanyama. But even once he's gone, the infrastructure is there. I mean, this is a championship organization. The Spurs often get compared to the New England Patriots, to mm -hmm. organizations like the St. Louis Cardinals, you know, just sustained dominance, sustained success. And now you get, you know, arguably the most important, the biggest lottery piece, uh, NBA draft prospect, one of the biggest prospects across all sports in NBA history to kind of continue that winning history. And, you know, with Victor Weminyama in place, and guys like Keldon Johnson, who was awesome last season. Yeah. Uh, Devin Vassell has been really good when he's healthy for them. Jeremy Sohan was an all-rookie team member. So, you know, they have some young players uh, that they can kind of start to build this core for the future. And Victor Weminyama said it last night. You know, he, he wants to win a ring ASAP. And the Spurs are used to winning ways. So I would not be surprised if they all of a sudden try and put some pieces around him to try and get back into the playoff mix as soon as possible. Structure is so important. I'm glad you mentioned that. And obviously, I think everybody really uh, reveres Greg Popovich as being one of the greatest coaches in NBA history, if not the greatest coach in NBA history. And you ring off all the young names that they have on that roster. And I remember earlier this year uh, when the Spurs came to play in Charlotte and they asked Greg Popovich about the patience it takes to coach a young team. And I listened to him reflect about it. And he said, it's kind of like, you know, teaching your kids. And he's like, you know, when you see your kid learn how to ride a bike or learn how to drive a car, there's so much fulfillment in that. And I know for some time we've been thinking about when Greg Popovich was going to retire, but now I feel like he just added years to Greg Popovich's career because it kind of feels like he's going to find fulfillment in teaching this uh, young group 
uh, to play the right way and then get them to the playoffs. But, you know, the young group is exciting. All the guys they have around Jeremy. So, I mean, around Victor and Benyama, uh, are, <laughs> is exciting. Jeremy. So is also exciting as well. Had a chance to, to, to go over his next diary that'll be on the sporting news soon. And he talked about going into the lottery. He wanted to manifest the best pick they had. And then after, um, they got the number one pick, he tweeted in French, uh, my name is Jeremy. Uh, nice to meet you. So, Pretty, pretty, pretty smooth, uh, tweet from him. But, uh, you know, we talked going into the lottery, uh, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski said that Victor Wimbanyama might be the biggest prospect, not just NBA history, but team sports history. I think that there are some names like LeBron James or Kareem Abdul Jabbar, maybe even Tim Duncan that could have something to say about that. But all the hype around Victor Wimbanyama, we've kind of established that it's warranted. That being said, what are you expecting from him in year one? And how, uh, what, what heights do you think he can lead this Spurs team to in year one? I, I really don't think this is that crazy to say. Blake Griffin was the last rookie, and it was technically his second season in the NBA mm-hmm. because he sat his first season out with injury to make the all-star team. I don't think it's that crazy to say that Victor Wembanyama could be an all-star in year one. I mean, we just saw today in his French Pro League that he won MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Best Young Player in the League, uh, the scoring title and the blocks title. Mets 92 isn't exactly like a historical powerhouse in that French league. They finished with the second best record in the league going into the playoffs, uh, which starts in a couple weeks here. Um, right. You know, he's someone that has elevated a program from... I don't want to say irrelevancy, but just from what I, you know, what I've heard from listening to those broadcasts, watching some of his games, you know, they're not, uh, you know, a team like the Los Angeles Lakers or the Boston Celtics that are constantly at the top of the standings. And he goes there and now all of a sudden, you know, they are a title contender. And I'm not going to say the Spurs are going to be a title contender in year one in the NBA. And obviously that league is different than playing in the NBA, but he's doing that against professional players, grown men. And I don't see how, you know, you know, again, provided a clean bill of health. I don't see why Victor Weminyama can't carry a team to a top 10 seed in the Western Conference, which is all you need to get to now to make the playoffs. So, you know, I, I'm going to set the, I'm going to set the bar high for Victor Weminyama. I'm going to say that he could be an all-star in year one and the Spurs could get right back into that playing tournament range. Yeah, there are two guys that come to mind when you talk about the fact that he was MVP of his league against professionals. And that's no disrespect to playing on the collegiate level, because that's something to be said about being the player of the year, your conference, the national player of the year or whatever. But, you know, you think back to what Luka Doncic was able to accomplish as a professional from a young age during his teenage years. And even somebody like Alperin Shingun, who was a guy who was the Turkish League MVP at 18 years old, and then he came to the NBA. There's something to be said about being a professional, knowing how to dominate when playing basketball is your job that you're getting paid for. Because these college players, it's a job to be a student athlete as well. But these guys are also playing against people who are trying to feed their families. And it's a little bit different than when you're playing against other student athletes. Um, so just looking at that and thinking about that, I think that speaks a lot. Uh, to what Victor Wimanyama has done already. And I'm with you um, on, on the Spurs being a play-in, fringe play-in team. It's going to be difficult to crack that all-star uh, rotation, but it's not without, it's not outside the realm of possibility. I think that that speaks to how special uh, Victor Wimanyama is, how special this draft class is, and how lucky the Spurs are. Again, third uh, number one pick for them. And I think they're going to go three for three with guys who will probably anchor championship teams. So uh, congratulations to Spurs and Spurs fans. It's going to be exciting to see uh, how that goes. And we'll obviously have more on him and his rookie season as we prepare for the NBA draft over the next six or so weeks. That being said, it's not just a one-man draft. The Charlotte Hornets got lucky. They didn't get the ultimate prize, but they did move up a few spots in the lottery. They'll be picking second. Um, and you actually over on the Sporting News talked about the debate on who should go second over at the Sporting News. If you haven't seen that already, go and check that out. Seems like it's a two-man race to go second in the draft between G League Ignites, Scoot Henderson, 
and the University of Alabama's Brandon Miller. The Hornets have LaMelo Ball. Scoot Henderson is a point guard. I won't spoil it for those listening who haven't heard you talk on it yet, but you kind of broke that down. So let's get into what you think the Hornets should do and why they should do it. First off, it couldn't be more Hornets to come up just short of the number one overall pick and now be faced faced with a decision where like, you know, both players are incredible. Both Scoot Henderson and Brandon Miller are incredible, but like there could be a right or wrong answer. And now the Hornets actually have to decide their own fate. And, you know, I mean, that hasn't necessarily worked out for them in the past, but we will see. Um, You know, Brandon Miller right now to me is, is the better fit for the Hornets, Mm -hmm. but I don't see how you pass up on a talent like Scoot Henderson. Like in my opinion, Scoot Henderson in most years that, uh, you know, the prize possession isn't Victor Wembanyama, seven foot five unicorn. Scoot Henderson is a perennial number one overall pick in just about any other draft I can think of. Not any other draft, but you know what I'm saying. Most Most NBA drafts, Scoot Henderson would be a number one pick. This is a guy who has been competing against other pros for two years now. He's been incredibly successful in doing so. Mm-hmm. He has an unbelievable work ethic. I've, I've been fortunate enough to sit down one-on-one with Scoot Henderson uh, over Zoom and in person uh, a couple times and just been able to talk to him and see what his work ethic is like and the things he's interested in. This guy is all business. It's family mm-hmm. and basketball to him. Like yeah. That is all that matters. He is not here for any of the other nonsense off the court. He is determined to become one of the best guards in the NBA, and I personally do not think he will stop working until he is one of the best guards mm-hmm. in the NBA. And in terms of fit, you know, LaMelo Ball is a ball-dominant point guard. Scoot Henderson on his own team would also be a ball-dominant point guard, but he's also a combo guard. He's, he's capable of playing off the ball and doing things like, you know, scoring when attacking the basket. He can shoot off the dribble. He, I, I see that, you know, there's a way that him and LaMelo Ball could work. It's just not as seamless as, you know, Brandon Miller fits in because the right. Hornets do desperately need a wing scorer. Um, I do have some concerns about Brandon Miller because he's not all that shifty. Uh, he's mm-hmm. not super quick. He's not as athletic as you would expect from a wing that's projected to be drafted in the top three, but he's one of the best shooters in this draft class. There's yeah. no type of three point shot, jump shot, anything like that, that he can't knock down. He's a versatile defender. So I don't really think that the Hornets have a bad option here at number two. I just personally would take Scoot Henderson because I'm betting on him being the second best player in this class. And that's why you are the draft expert that we have over at the Sporting News, because I was thinking about this when when we, we talk about fit and talk about, you know, a positional overlap or whatever with the Hornets and what they have going on. And I think first thing you ask yourself is really what do the Hornets have to lose? Right. Like this is a team that's not one piece away from, you know, being back in contention for, you know, a top six spot in the Eastern Conference. So you, you draft for fit when you are right there. And I don't think this team is right there. Like I think back to last year, the Kings probably drafted for fit and they got Keegan Murray and he was that one piece they needed. Right. And and, and that worked for them. But the Hornets, I'll, I'll use the Kings as an example again. Think back to what they did three years ago when you were super high on Tyrese Halliburton. They already had De'Aaron Fox on their team. They drafted Tyrese Halliburton. Didn't really work for both of them, but Tyrese Halliburton ended up being the piece that they used to get DeMontis Sabonis on that roster. So ultimately, you get the best player available when you are a team who has not been to the playoffs in seven years, hasn't been out of the first round in 22 years or 21 years, you know, so this Hornets franchise needs to get the most talented player that's available on the board. And then you have flexibility. You know, I think that makes Terry Rozier an expendable piece. Gordon Hayward is a guy who has value on the trade market. You start building the right way because quickly you can, you can trade these guys to teams that are looking to win right now and get something in return, get future assets. Because if you're the Hornets, you're trying to build the best possible team around LaMelo ball, um, who is an all-star already. And, and maybe Scoot Henderson ends up being the guy, maybe one of those guys end up being expendable and you 
get that DeMontis Sabonis-like piece to build. But I, I agree with you completely. You bring that best player in when you're a team that has just been down in their luck for several years now. And, and I think that Scoot Henderson, like you mentioned, his mentality, what we saw from him when he went against Victor Wimbenyama uh, in that exhibition back in October that you were also on hand for, that mentality that he has, he's going to make it work. He's a good basketball player. He and LaMelo Ball are guys who have been pros since they were, you know, teenagers, 17 years old, 16 years old, 15 years old for LaMelo. So, um, you know, looking at that and thinking about that, I think that that is, is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I like the comparisons that you made there bringing in, you know, the Kings and using them as an example. I actually even also think of the Detroit Pistons last year. You know, mm-hmm. you have Cade Cunningham, who is incredible. Right. Um, and, you know, they know that he's their franchise cornerstone, ball dominant guard, uh, can also play off the ball a little bit too, though. And then they go out and they draft Jaden Ivey, who had an awesome rookie year as well. Um, so, you know, I think the Hornets are kind of in a similar, similar, you know, stance here where, like you said, they already have their franchise cornerstone, LaMelo Ball, ready to go. But, you know, you can't have enough talent at this point and who knows how the roster looks down the line. So you take best player available here. And to me, that's Scoot Henderson. But, you know, still, I, I want to, you know, reiterate again that Brandon Miller is an awesome player and he would be a great right. pick and he would be a more seamless fit for this team. So, you know, if you're a Hornets fan, I really don't, it's a coin flip. I really don't think there's a wrong answer. Yeah, I think it comes down to ultimately how much of a gap the Hornets feel there is between Miller and, and Scoot. I think if there's any bit of a, a negligible gap between the two, you don't. You don't think back to it. But if you really are uh, grading them pretty similarly, I I can understand justifying uh, that pick and seeing what happens moving forward. That being said, it's interesting after after that top two as well, uh, just to round out the the top five in this draft. Portland's going to select third for now. Uh, Houston fourth. Detroit, we mentioned them a little bit. They got uh, the worst luck of this finish with the worst record in the NBA last season, fell four spots in the lottery to fifth round out the lottery, Orlando six, Indiana seven, Washington eight, Utah nine, Dallas 10, Orlando again at 11 via Chicago, Oklahoma City 12, Toronto 13, New Orleans 14. When I ring off those last uh, 12 teams in the lottery, uh, who do you find uh, to intrigue you the most with what they can do uh, with the lottery pick? And and you have a mock draft over at uh, the Sporting News as well. So you can take a look at what Kyle thinks teams will do, but who intrigues you the most? There's a couple fits that I found on my mock draft when I was going through last night that intrigued me. I mean, one of the biggest storylines of the draft now is what happens to the number three pick. If the Trailblazers mm-hmm. are going to stand pat and draft whoever's left out of Scoot or Brandon Miller to try and, you know, kind of build for the future a little bit, or are they really going to put the full court press on trying to maximize Damian Lillard's championship mm-hmm. window that they just can't let go? I'm not sure, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit off air, but I'm not sure that's exactly the right answer, but I also see why they would do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that'll be the, the draft is it starts at pick number two, but it gets more interesting at pick number three. Um, when I'm going down that list, as you're, you know, talking through some fits for players, uh, I really like the idea of Cam Whitmore going to the Indiana Pacers because I think Tyrese Halliburton could get the most out of him. He's a super athletic forward um, who, you know, playing at, at the four spot. I think that's exactly what the Pacers could use next to someone like Miles Turner. Uh, one of my favorite fits that I had on my mock draft at number 10, the Dallas Mavericks. Again, who knows if they'll actually use this pick or try and trade it to get a more veteran asset next to Luka Doncic and potentially Kyrie Irving. But I, I had Grady Dick, uh, you know, who I think might be the best three point shooter in this entire draft class slotted to them. Obviously he would fit uh, tremendously next to players like Luca or Kyrie to help space the floor. Um, and then, you know, also a team like the Washington Wizards. Obviously, they've had some tough luck. Hmm. They really need a point guard. And I'm a huge fan of Anthony Black. He reminds me a lot of Josh Giddy, who, you know, kind of skyrocketed into hmm. the top six uh, in his draft class a couple of years ago. So, you know, this t- 
even though Victor Webanyama is a headliner and a lot of the conversations will be Brandon Miller and Scoot Henderson after that, there's a lot of talent in this draft class and there's a lot of varying opinions on these players. If you look at different mock drafts, you know, most years, things will be somewhat uniform. If you're looking around after the lottery last night, a lot of people have a lot of different results. So it's going to be a very, very intriguing draft night. Yeah, you mentioned Portland, and I want to key in on them a little bit just for a second because uh, today, as we record on, on Wednesday, the day after the lottery, Turner Sports' Chris Haynes reported that they are exploring moving that pick uh, for, for somebody else in, in order to continue to build around Dame. And and in the conversation that you and I had, we kind of just feel like, you know, Dame is about to be 33 this summer. Dame is an awesome player, still playing at an All-NBA level. Scored 70 points in a game last, last year. I think it's safe to say that we love Dame and love Dame's game, but it kind of feels like they've maximized what they've done with him. They made to the conference finals back in 2019 failed to win a game but that kind of felt like that was the most they were going to get out of that marriage with him and that and that franchise we know he's loyal to the franchise we know that the the love between he and that city is mutual and he's going to be there as long as he says he wants to be there in the moment he says he doesn't want to be there they'll do they'll do right by him but i kind of just feel like there's not really a move that that franchise can make uh in, in order to um put them back into a position where they can compete in the Western conference. And that just makes me wary of them, you know, maybe missing out on a, a player who could be a star moving forward to build and add to a, a core that already features, you know, Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, a bunch of, a couple of young guys that they have that they're trying to build around. They've, they've done a good job bringing some young talent in and, and bet on a couple of young guys, but we'll see how that goes. In addition to the Blazers, obviously we have to talk about the Toronto Raptors. They didn't move up in the lottery. They stay at 13, um, over at the Sporting News, you have something about 13 is kind of lucky number 13 in the draft. There have been some some stars that have been selected at 13 and, and historically, but also in recent years as well. So, you know, there's a lot of questions around the Raptors, a lot of needs that they could potentially have based on how free agency goes. I know you've linked them to a few guards. Which direction do you think they should go with a lead guard or an off ball guard uh, to, to fill that shooting role? Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at the history, recent history of the number 13 overall pick, names like Tyler Harrow, Devin Booker, mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell, Zach Levine, uh, I think that if the Raptors could get an adjacent player of any of their caliber, uh, they would, you know, every Raptors fan would be absolutely ecstatic about that. Um, to me, you know, in my mock draft right now, I have them going with one of my personal favorite prospects, Jalen Hood Shafino out of Indiana. He's a pick and roll maestro. He ran that set, you know, one of the NBA's most used actions uh, a ton at Indiana last year with Trace Jackson Davis, who I also have as a projected first round pick. Um, you know, the highs were high and the lows were really low, which is why you'll see him, you know, in some uh, mock drafts in the lottery and others outside the top 20. But I'm going to bet on his talent as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid uh, in the Raptors player development system. I think he would be a great fit, especially because Fred VanVleet is staring down the barrel of a player option. It sounds like Gary Trent Jr. is going to be heading elsewhere. Um, but, you know, even if you feel like they they should go in the direction of a wing shooter more than, you know, a lead guard, there's other options available there as well. Jordan Hawkins, who shot the lights mm-hmm. out all the way to winning UConn a national championship in the NCAA tournament, he, I think, should be available in that range. I really like Jet Howard, who is the son of uh, NBA champion Jawan Howard mm-hmm. out of Michigan, who can, you know, shoot the lights out on the perimeter as well. He's got some good size and length. Uh, another name that, you know, he's starting to pick up steam in draft circles, and I-, I think he could end up in the top 10, but Taylor Hendricks, a freshman out of U- UCF, he is like the ideal prospect for the Raptors, a six nine stretch forward, long arms, can shoot the three. So these are all types of guys that I think could be available for the Raptors in that range. It just kind of depends on preference. Do they want to go for a lead guard or do they want to favor a wing shooter? 
Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I think think about those names you mentioned with uh, Hero, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Zach Levine. Kind of feels like history tells you to take a two guard at thirteen. So maybe they <laughs> do that, so. especially given especially given the uh, the uncertainty surrounding Gary Trent Jr. But good for this Raptors team that they have options, especially considering you know the way the season ended, but also all the uncertainty. Uh, you know, obviously one thing we didn't mention or when I first mentioned the uncertainty, they don't have a head coach yet. So you know when they decide to hire a head coach, um, I think that will give us an idea of of the direction that they plan on going with building this team and it's going to impact you know the Fred Van Vliet decision and the Gary Trent decision and also OG Ananobi who's been rumored to be uh, you know one foot out the door for some time now but if they bring somebody else in and maybe uh, clear some things out and make a little more space and and the roster has less uh, you know less positional overlap uh, up in Toronto I think that might things might be uh, a little bit clearer for them in the future and I know we've talked a lot about the future but we'll take a quick break and talk about things going on right now in the nba because there's a lot of basketball we're talking about conference finals are underway and uh, some more coaching changes are uh, uh, among us as well so quick break we'll talk about the nba conference finals All right, so the conference finals are set. We actually saw one uh, game one of the Lakers and Nuggets. Nikola Jokic with a monster triple-double to give the Nuggets a game one. Went over the Lakers. Nuggets stayed perfect through their first seven games uh, at home during the postseason. And on the Eastern Conference, we have the Celtics and the Heat. But before we get to that series, you have to talk about the Celtics' seven-game series victory, which was punctuated by a 51-point performance from Jason Tatum. And on the back end, Doc Rivers was fired, let go by the Sixers. Do you think that was the right move, or do you think he just kind of was the odd man out based on their lack of success? If I'm being honest, I'm actually surprised that Doc Rivers made it to Tuesday after that Game 7 really? loss. I, I really thought that there was a chance that he was going to be fired like later on Sunday night, maybe you know at some point Monday morning. Like, didn't get, it didn't get allowed with team playing. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yeah, something along those lines because, you know, the writing was kind of on the wall if he couldn't pull yeah. off a win there. And not only did they not pull off a win, I mean, they rolled over and died after the third quarter. The 76ers, they showed no fight. I was honestly disappointed in, you know, just kind of how easy they made it for the Celtics because I was expecting that to be a back and forth battle mm-hmm. given the way that, that series went. But, you know, it was definitely time for change in Philadelphia. I don't think that's a change that they made based on, you know, uh, Ramona Shelburne's uh, reporting on James Harden didn't want to come back and play for Doc Rivers. Like, I think that was a decision they were going to make either way. Um, you know, it, it just felt like it was time for new blood at the head coaching position for the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, it's interesting to think about, you know, how they got to that point. You know, we, we've talked about the Sixers. They, they can't get over that second round hump. Um, they haven't they haven't been out of the second round since 2001, which is when they went to the finals. Allen Iverson's MVP year. Uh, you mentioned the way they lost that game, but also the way they lost the series. They go get out to a 3-2 series lead. Uh, over the Celtics and some people were sweating a little bit but then you see you know a lot of people saying well hey this is still a Doc Rivers coach team which fair or not that is the case and uh, they tended to uh, they they ended up you know kind of coming up short again and he's had his fair share uh, of shortcomings specifically um, you know with the Sixers team as well you think back to you know 2021 when they lost to the Hawks in the in the conference semifinals and they were the number one seed and they were expected to be a, a real title contender in a year that was pretty much wide open and they were supposed to be built to to beat the Bucks and didn't get opportunity to play against the Bucks in the playoffs and the Bucks ultimately ended up winning the championship um, you know then last year a loss in the second round to the Heat uh, after coming into the, the the playoffs as a four seed and beating the Raptors in the first round so um, it, it, I don't really know what's what, what they can do now there's questions you mentioned about James Harden's future in Philadelphia is expected to opt out uh, of, of his final year of his contract and, and, and test free agency. He's linked 
to to the Rockets going back to Houston. I wouldn't honestly wouldn't be surprised if that happens. But you know, when you think about the five head coach openings, you know, it's the Suns, Bucks, Sixers, Pistons, and Raptors. Where do you rank the Sixers as far as desirability? Man, that's a tough one because I would say, I mean, the Bucks are the best. I think that would probably be a mutual yeah. agreement, right? Yeah. The Bucks yeah. are the best, you know, opening, just given the fact that Giannis Antetokounmpo is arguably the best player in the world. So yeah. is Joel Embiid. He's one of the best players in the world as well. But, you know, with the James Harden situation and him wanting a four-year contract and them being kind of crippled because, like, if you don't re-sign him, then, you know, where do they go from here? Are they yep. still a championship contender without him? Um, so, you know, I would say they're they're behind the Suns as well. Um mm-hmm. They're probably still ahead of the Raptors and the Pistons, if we're being honest, just because Joel Embiid is the the league MVP and he's so incredible. Yep. Um, so I, I'm going to go their third on that list behind the Bucks and Suns. That's exactly how I actually did a uh, head coach rankings uh, opening ranking the openings uh, over at the Sporting News, and that's exactly where I had Kyle. I was I wasn't I wasn't quizzing you, but I'm just glad to know that we're on <laughs> we're on the same page here. I think that the <laughs> important part to think about it is just like. The, the amount of pressure uh, that, that you're facing. And I, I think the, the amount of pressure that the Bucks coach is facing is, is crazy, but you have the best player in the world and he's only 28 years old. So that kind of, that, that negates uh, the pressure that you face. The same thing with the Bucks. I mean, the Suns, excuse me. Um, you know, you have a lot of pressure with a new owner. That's just like the Bucks have a new owner, um, but you have a duo of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. So uncertainty on the roster of Philadelphia and they could figure it out. Tyrese Maxey can make an all-star leap. They could flip Tobias Harris and bring in more assets like that. But at the same time, you know, there's there's so many ifs with that that Sixers team. So we'll see what happens uh, with them moving forward. Now, on to the conference finals. Um, I mentioned the Nuggets and, and Lakers. series. So we can start there since it's already gotten underway. Um, Nuggets get out to a huge lead. Uh, Lakers figure some things out, come back. But their streak of stealing game one on the road comes to an end. Um, this, these series are playing every other day. So by the time you hear this, they might be pretty far into the series. So I guess we'll just talk about what you learned from game one and how that impacts what you expect uh, for this series between the Nuggets and Lakers. I mean, first off, Nikola Jokic, I just got to give him his flowers because this yes. guy is out of his mind. Yep. I mean, what do you have? 32, 21, and 14, 14 last night. Yeah. He's absolutely And he had like incredible. 19, He's- 16, to 7 and a half. Yeah. I mean, he's just sleepwalking to this. I mean, that three that he hit at the end of the third quarter in Anthony Davis' face where all AD AD could do is smile and laugh. You know, that just kind of showed the type of night it was for Jokic. Uh, This might be a little deep cut for basketball fans, but he's kind of turning into like Tungsten Armo Doyle, who gets compared every time Shohei Otani does something uh, in the MLB where, you know, it's like he's the first player to have 12 strikeouts and hit two home runs in a game. Like Jokic is just showing up and doing things that nobody has ever seen before. He's the only player in NBA history to have two 30-20-10 playoff games. You know, he really is turning into one of those players that, when it's all said and done, you know, 20 years down the line, when someone does something incredible, it's like, it's going to be like, he's the first player since Nikola Jokic and Wilt Chamberlain to accomplish these things. And, you know, I think that it's going to take him winning this conference finals and getting to the NBA finals to like, for people to truly give him the respect he deserves. But I think he's already, you know, on his way to earning that. Um, You know, the Nuggets, they are firing on all cylinders right now. And I Mm -hmm. do agree that the Lakers figured some things out in the second half last night with Anthony Davis playing in that kind of free safety role on defense, putting Rui Hachimura on Nikola Jokic, but he's getting so much help from his supporting cast right now. Jamal yeah. Murray has been absolutely incredible. KCP stepped up last night. Aaron Gordon has been playing incredible defense. Bruce Brown's giving him good minutes off the bench. The Nuggets are just such a complete team that I really do think that it's going to be hard for the Lakers to you know, win this series. But at the same time, like you said, the Lakers seem very confident after, you know, what we saw in the second half last night. And that makes me believe that we could be in for, you know, a solid six, maybe seven games. 
Yeah, I think, you know, two things that I noticed when that when the Nuggets got out to such a hot start and, and we talked about it, um, you know, amongst our colleagues when we were watching the game was just that like that altitude is no joke. And you could see all the Lakers like mid second quarter were doubled over like every time they got a chance to to get an extra breather. They took it and like, you know, they they can you can go to Denver a day early all you want and, and get shots up there. But once you start running up and down the floor at playoff intensity is going to impact you differently from the team who does it year round, you know? So that, that, that definitely stuck with me. Um, you, you mentioned the, the Nuggets supporting cast and that they're all just really executing their roles to a T, you know, I, I was thinking back to, you mentioned that, that three pointer that Jokic made, and there was a, a, a similar sh- a shot of similar difficulty that Jamal Murray made over LeBron James, those two shots, you know, they won, they end up winning game one, uh, you know, by six points. And that wasn't the difference in the game. But I started thinking about, you know, Bruce Brown, who you mentioned, had a couple straight line drives to the rim, uh, a couple big plays. And there was a game winning play where they got on the floor. It resulted in, a, in an alley oop um, that, that Aaron Gordon finished. It was plays like that that allowed the, the Nuggets to kind of keep that distance from the Lakers. And the Lakers do have a really good supporting cast. But at the same time, I think that um, based on the, the body of work that we've seen, you know, from, then this postseason, the, the peaks and valleys are so different. You know, D'Angelo Russell sometimes gets played off the floor and sometimes because of his defensive ability and he's having an off night as a shooter, he can't bring much value to the team. But on, on the flip side, there could be a game like, you know, when he comes out firing on all cylinders, which we've seen him do multiple times in this series. I think the Lakers learned that the big lineups are going to work better. They tried to start Dennis Schroeder in game one. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they get from Jared Vanderbilt, what they get from Rui Achimura, who's had huge games uh, this postseason offensively. Um, and, you know, they gave up 132 points. And, and the Lakers are such a, a defensive-minded team when they lock in what, they, what they're able to do as a half-court defense. It'll be interesting to see if they can, you know, find what works there. But to your point, I think the biggest thing is that the, the, the Nuggets are, are firing on all cylinders. Um, they're very connected and united as a team. So we'll be interested to see um, how this series progresses. And I do also feel like it's probably going to go the distance. So it probably won't be over next time we talk about this, but we'll have a better idea of what's what. Now you talk about a series that go the distance. Last year, we were just seeing – the, the the Celtics and Heat go seven games. I know last time I mentioned to you, you had like a, a scary looking eyes when I mentioned they were one Jimmy Butler missed three away. Uh, you know from the from the Heat probably getting swept in the finals by the Warriors. That being said, in a very strange way, we have the rematch of those two teams from last year. This time around, uh, the Celtics are still the number two seed, but the Heat are the eight seed. Beat the Bucks in the first round. Beat the Knicks in the second round. We know how that went. Nobody's really given the Heat a chance in this series. I know it's crazy to think because we were talking about this during the play-in tournament. If Celtics fans should be afraid of the Heat in the first round, turns out they're meeting in the conference finals. Um, Tyler Hero is still out with the hand injury, but just based on what we've seen from Jimmy Butler, the familiarity with these two franchises, what are you expecting in this series? I know that uh, game one is already going to be passed by the time that you know this gets aired, but I almost want this to be like a public service announcement to all NBA fans that this series is not going to be the blowout that you might think mm-hmm. it's going to be. The Celtics are an incredibly talented team, but they are also incredible at getting in their own way. In the Heat, no better than anybody else in the NBA, that Boston doesn't really like to play physical. Like They are not mm-hmm. a super physical team. In Miami, what they do best 
is get physical, muck things up, make teams play their style of basketball. They're going to throw two bodies at Jalen and Jason, just like they did last postseason. And those two turned into turnover machines in that series, which is why it ended up going seven games. Even though I have no doubt in my mind, that the Celtics are the most, the more talented team. And I don't think anybody would argue that. I also realize that, you know, the Miami Heat are going to do everything it takes to make things difficult for their two stars and make other guys beat them. And even though Boston has the other guys to beat them, Miami also has other guys who have been stepping up all postseason, whether it's, you know, getting five threes from Max Strews, a random hot game from Duncan Robinson, all of a sudden Gabe Vincent turns into Stephen Curry. Like they just find ways to stay competitive and win games. And, you know, that's, that's the other guys around, obviously Jimmy Butler, who has been arguably the best performer in this entire playoffs in Bam Adebayo, who has been incredible every time he plays the Celtics defensively. So, you know, a lot of people are assuming that the Celtics could roll over, or the Celtics could roll the Heat and win the series in like five games. I have the series going six games at a minimum because Miami just knows exactly how to disturb Boston and how to make life difficult for their stars. Yeah, I'm with you on the six game series. Actually, I really, really, really wanted to say uh, five games just because of the talent gap, right? Like, you know, um, th- this Heat team. You look at the roster, and, and aside from Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. Um, none of the names really jump off the page and that's all due respect to Kyle Lowry and Kevin Love who have contributed in spots through this playoffs but they aren't the, the young guys that they once were um, so when you look at this team it does feel like you know a team who has two all NBA guys the sixth man of the year the the last year's defensive player of the year um, you know on that roster um, it, it stands out a, a little bit more but when it comes down to it the familiarity that you talked about and the heat just knowing you know those buttons to press you know it's always uh, a fight between these two teams i think back you know obviously it was when he was with the raptors but i think back to y- your viral tweet after the 2020 uh, eastern conference semifinals of kyle lowry and, and marcus smart picking each up picking each other up off the floor and just the scrappiness that they play with. They're, those guys are going to take charges. You know, the Caleb Martins, they're not afraid, you know, to get their hands dirty and do the dirty work um, against the Celtics and things like that. And then on the flip side, like you mentioned, the Celtics getting in their own way. I think back, you know, to when they let the Hawks back in, in the first round and thinking back to the games where they kind of played around and 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 let the, the Sixers win games. The Sixers probably had no business winning. The Heat, again, don't have the talent. But I think they recognize the, the, the razor-thin, uh, margin of error that they're playing with and take advantage of any glimpse of opportunity that the other team is going to give you. So the, the Celtics, uh, the one thing I, I will say is working for the Celtics is because of the familiarity they have with the Heat. They know that the Heat are capable of doing that. And maybe, you know, they talk, they keep talking about unfinished business and, and, and how they got to this point and what happened last year. Uh, I, I do have a little faith in the Celtics, you know, not taking this lightly from game one. They know that this is not your typical eight seed. They know that all that stuff goes out of the window when you're four wins away um, from an NBA title. So uh, I would say that if if the Celtics are able to get this done quickly, it's because they, they kind of straighten up and figure that out. But, you know, if they go cold, then things could get interesting. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, Jason Tatum was the first person to say it after the Heat upset the Bucks. He was like, I don't see that as an upset. The Heat go into every mm-hmm. series expecting to win the, the series that they're playing in. And that's, you know, that's following their leader, Jimmy Butler, who goes into every single game with that type of attitude. And I don't see that attitude changing in this series. I will give Jason and Jalen credit, uh, specifically Jason, because, you know, he has cleaned up his turnover so far in this postseason. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he, he only had one turnover in that 51 point performance the other day. Um, but you know, the, like I said, the Miami Heat defense has done a great job of throwing multiple bodies at them, uh, getting hands in dribbling lanes and passing lanes. Every time those guys are driving, they know that they kind of get loose with the ball when they're attacking the rim and things like that. Uh, the Heat do a great job of switching up defenses from man to zone to try and throw different looks at the Celtics. But, you know, like you said, the talent gap it really is so big when you look at it on, on paper and even when you're watching it in, you know, on the TV or in person. Um, if the Celtics are knocking down their threes and they can make, you know, life hell for the, for the heat when they're in that zone defense. Um, and they're really not all that phased by the physical play because they're a little bit more prepared after what they saw last year with the series going all the way to seven games, then maybe you're right. Maybe it does end up being like a five game series. But again, to me, just with how competitive the heat always play the Celtics, they do match up decently well. Uh, you know, even though that they're, not as talented on the offensive end, obviously. Uh, defensively, they match up pretty well with the Celtics scores. So I'm going to stick with my pick in, in Celtics in six games. But, you know, if they if they do end up cleaning up before six games, I do think it'll be, like you said, because they've really learned from their mistakes last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, that they're getting so close to, to you know, hanging Banner 18. They can kind of kind of sense it, kind of taste it, kind of feel it, kind of. Uh, so I think that, you know, that that would be, should be enough motivation to, to, to clean things up and, and uh, get that together. As we wrap up, it's, it's hard to, to switch to a little bit more serious topic, but over the weekend ahead of that game seven between the Celtics and Sixers, which I wish would have been the biggest story of the day, uh, Grizzlies guard, Ja Morant, uh, found himself in a little bit of trouble uh, again, um, a, a video of him on Instagram live holding a gun for the second time uh, since March um, surfaced and quickly suspended by the Grizzlies. The NBA is reviewing in the, the uh, situation still. Um, there's a lot around the situation. John Morant actually uh, issued an apology yesterday um, saying that he disappointed a lot of people. Um, he's on a journey. He knows there's more work to do. Um, he said that his words may not mean much right now, but he takes full accountability for his actions. There's been a lot of talk around um, whether or not he will serve a lengthy suspension. Adrian Wojnarowski has said that. Adam Silver appeared on TV ahead of the lottery saying he was a little bit shocked and surprised by uh, John Morant's actions. And, and, and I guess right now it's kind of hard to, you know, act like we are the judge or the jury about the situation. But, um, you know, I guess the question is what have you made of, of the, the aftermath uh, of this most recent uh, issue surrounding John Morant and the Grizzlies organization. You know, they're obviously after something like this happens and it's a very serious situation and there are a million opinions out there and everyone kind of wants to give their piece on, yeah. you know, what they think about the situation. And, you know, when I saw it immediately, I, it almost made me roll my eyes. Cause I'm like, man, again, like you really yeah. wanted this guy to turn the corner. He's such an incredible talent and he's so much fun yeah. to watch on the court. Um, you know, I really am a John Morant fan in terms of the basketball yeah. player, but the, the questionable decision-making off the court is something that obviously has to be cleaned up and, you know, yeah. depends on how long the suspension is, but, you know, hopefully it's long enough that he learns his lesson because clearly last time he didn't learn his lesson. Um, you know, I just hope that he gets the help that he needs and I hope that he gets, you know, better guidance from people outside of his life. That's not in the Grizzlies organization. That's yeah. not in the NBA. Uh, that's not his teammates, not in that locker room. Like, you know, just real friends and family coming around him and making him aware of the type of, you know, situation that he's fumbling here because, you know, we already saw him fumble. What was it? A hundred million dollars by not making all NBA. All and I think NBA, a lot of yeah. that, a lot of that had to do with him missing time due to that suspension yep. and due to injury and things like that. Like that legitimately cost him a spot on the all NBA roster, which, you know, yeah. prevented him from getting to that super max extension. Um, so, you know, I just, I just hope that he finds the right 
uh, guidance and the right advice off the court because he really is one of the most tremendous talents that we have in this league. Uh, one of the most electrifying players is a walking highlight reel. And, you know, the NBA won't be the same uh, without him for, you know, however many games he's going to miss at the beginning of next season. Yeah, you know, Adam Silver and, and what he said when he was talking to Malika Andrews is kind of what I said the, the first time around was that, you know, we're fortunate that this is in the news because it was a bad look and not because somebody was injured. But again, you continue to play in, in these situations and, and kind of, you know, handle a gun, um, which is no joke at all. You know, it's not playing matter. You handle it kind of freely. There's so much room for things to quickly become a cautionary tale, you know, and, and I think we're kind of at an inflection point right now that like this is the, the chance that he really needs to turn around, which we thought happened a few months ago. And, and, you know, he's so young. He's 23 years old. He's so talented. He has the world in front of him. You know, he still has time to clean it up and figure it out. But, you know, you, you hear so many cautionary tales from other athletes who, who have warned him, you know, about these things. So you just hope that he's able to take heed to it. You're also, again, fortunate that he wasn't harmed. Nobody that he was with in any of these instances was harmed. But moving forward, hope that he's not in a situation, period, to where we don't have to say that at all. You know, again, I mentioned he's 23 years old. You and I have both been 23 years old before. Our mistakes might not have been at that magnitude, but there are plenty of things that we would go back and do differently at that age. So, you know, thinking about him, you know, not only as the face of the Grizzlies franchise and also the potential face of the NBA, but also the head of his family has, you know, a, a daughter, you know, things in from that level, him as a human being, as a man, hopefully, you know, he gets it straight, figures it out. And, you know, we'll be back to talking about him making uh, highlights as soon as he figures things out and they hand him whatever suspension comes his way and he's back on the floor. We'll be talking about the, the fun stuff uh, sooner, hopefully sooner rather than later. Obviously, I think it's important. It's hard to just switch back gears, but got to end the note on, on a positive note w with some shout outs. So hand, hand it back to you first, uh, what you've had your eye on, who deserves a shout out that we might not have uh, given a shout out up to this point. We actually have already given him a little bit of coverage to this point, but my shout out but. goes to humbly one of the best basketball players in the world. <laughs> Jason Tatum. To say that after the, the first three quarters that he had in that game yeah. six, where really, I mean, it felt like that could have been it for the Celtics this season. And who knows what decisions they make in the offseason if they had lost in that game six. And then Jason Tatum, all of a sudden out of nowhere, just finds a rhythm and outscores the Sixers alone in the fourth quarter to keep their season alive. And then goes off for 51 points, a game seven record to get the Sixers all the way up out of here. That yeah. was yeah. one of the coldest things I have ever seen in my entire life. And if the Celtics go on to win the championship, that quote will go down in history. Like that will go down in NBA history. So I needed to give Jason Tatum a shout out for, you know, it, acknowledging in the moment when he was asked how he finds the confidence to turn it on like that late in a game four when he couldn't get, you know, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He couldn't throw a rock in the ocean <laughs> for the first three quarters of that game to say humbly, I am one of the best basketball players in the world and then go out and prove it in the next game. That is going to go down in history if the Celtics can win the, the championship this year. I, I, I feel that, you know, as we record, he's eight wins away from doing it. And, and for him to come out and say that I, I, after that third quarter, I remember texting uh, another one of my buddies uh, who's a Celtics fan, my roommate, actually, shout out to Pat, texted him and said, you know, he is one quarter away from a summer of slander. And like, that's what it was going to be. And he stepped up and, you know, Mark Jones had the quote about him being there when you need him, not necessarily always there when you call, but then he was there <laughs> every single moment throughout 48 minutes, went and got the 50 ball. I remember he looked to the side and was like, what? Like, you know, shrugged, like what, what, what now? And like the confidence that he has. And I think also on top of that, you know, 
thinking about where we were last year going into the finals, you know, it kind of felt like it was it was all new for him and and it was all new for him. But you hear him go, you know, who said I was a superstar? You know, nobody ever said I was a superstar, you know. And now for him to say humbly, I'm one of the best players in the world, that shows, you know, the growth, the maturation and also the, the, the increase in swagger and confidence in this guy who. 25 years old, you know, not even really in the prime of his career yet. Um, so if you're a, a, a fan of a rival team of the Celtics, uh, you should probably brace yourself because he's already done a lot of damage to your team up to this point, And you're going to probably be dealing with that for years and years to come. So we'll see if he can do his part in, in helping the team raise banner 18 uh, in, in the next month or so. My shout out. I've done this before. I'll do it again. WNBA season tips off this Friday. Um, 40 games for every team. It's, it's an, it's a record high. Uh, it's unfortunate to see a lot of talented players are getting cut. It's time to expand the, the, the size of these rosters. Without a right. Without, without, a without a doubt. You're seeing first round picks. Um, Charlie Collier two, was a number one pick two years ago, end up getting cut by the Dallas Wings. Um, that being said, there's so much talent. It's, probably the hardest professional league to stick in um, 12 teams, 12 roster spots. And on opening night, we'll get to see the new look Liberty uh, take the floor. Aaliyah Boston is going to make her debut with the fever. Um, and, and BG is back. Brittany Griner is back on, on the basketball court. Her home debut is later in the weekend, but um, I think it's going to be a fun season in the W. It's an exciting time. The NBA Canada, the WNBA Canada game was this past week. They sold out Scotiabank Arena. Um, it, it, it was, I, I hate to say this because it's so cliche, but it looked like it was a movie. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, it, it's an exciting time to, to be a fan of the W. Um, a lot of talent in the league this year. Diane Taurasi back for another year. You could go on for a while with the storylines in, in the W this year, but I'm definitely going to keep an eye on the crash course to the Liberty Aces finals that we're all expecting right now. But that makes it fun because one of those teams get upset and then it's even better. Yeah, exactly. Although, real quick, going back to the NBA Canada, uh, WNBA Canada game, yeah. did that, that broke an attendance record, right? Like that was a WNBA so. attendance record? I think so. so and that was, I mean, and that was an exhibition game. Bring the W to bring the W to the six. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Exactly. Because, you know, on the heels of that, now we're seeing all of these, you know, former number one overall picks and first round yeah. picks get cut. And there's Absolutely. so much talent in the available player pool. And we just saw them break an attendance record for an exhibition game in a market that is more than ready to host a WNBA yeah. team. Absolutely. So, you know, your shout out is the, the start of the WNBA season. I'm going to double back and give a second shout out on expanding the WNBA because it is ready for expansion. There is plenty of talent to go around and the talent isn't going anywhere anytime soon because some of the yep. players that are in college right now are, 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 you know, the types of players that could come into the league immediately and lead a team to, uh, you know, being championship caliber. So expand the W, man. 100%, 100%. Toronto, bring back the Charlotte Sting. I'm all for it all. Um, one last thing on that note I saw, was, it was really cool, uh, that that Toronto game. They interviewed some young fans uh, around the arena. You saw some people, and that's what it's all about, right? You know, the, the next generation and and cultivating the game and growing it more. So there are plenty of cities that will be willing and able to uh, support a team, and we've seen it already, so shout out to all of them, um, and, and that's exciting as well. Uh Keep it locked in with us here on NBA Sound System. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast, and we'll have more for you throughout the NBA playoffs, through the NBA Finals, NBA Draft coming up soon. And as I mentioned already, the W season is getting underway as well. So there's plenty to talk about, always plenty to talk about. But Kyle, we'll have you back on here more as we get closer to the NBA Draft, and we'll learn a little bit more about what the Raptors might do. The Raptors' new head coach, uh, eventually we'll figure that out as well. So never never a dull time never nothing to talk about so i'm excited to get into that for kyle irving i am gil mcgregor thanks for tuning in to nba sound system we will catch you back here next week 